Thank you very much, uh, worship team, for pointing us to Christ this morning. I appreciate it. Very appropriate uh, in light of uh, uh, what we desire to be as a church uh, and what the scriptures point to. So we thank God for just uh, the pointer to Christ this morning in our songs. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn, take them and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Uh, I won't be preaching from this text, but I feel it's a, it's a good uh, kind of a launching place to uh, the various uh, selected scriptures that we'll be looking at this morning in, uh, as we consider the, the subject of the values of SF Bible, and it's kind of just part of our theme, a little short series at the beginning of the year. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. We actually looked at this passage early in the year, uh, I believe in February. And so if you're kind of just curious what this all means, you can kind of look at it, go to listen to it online. The Apostle Paul writes here in these words, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for just even the reading of your word and and being reminded, Father, of what we are called to do, to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. As a church of Christ, Lord, we want to be all about him. We don't want to build it on any other foundation. We want to build it upon Christ and his word and his work on the cross. Father, as we consider the values of Esa Bible this morning, help us to see that the values in, that we build upon are the values that come from and belong to Christ. That we are merely not building with materials that we bring to you, but we are building with materials that you have provided for us abundantly in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the members of this body. We thank you so much that you have given us such faithful labors and that we've co-labored among over the years. Lord, our, as long as we have breath, we know our work is not done. Lord, there's much work still to, ahead. Father, we thank you for the new, uh, the new <clears throat> members that you'll be bringing alongside even later on uh, in this afternoon in our church family meeting. We thank you, Father, that you continue, as you promised in your word, to build Christ's church. Lord, we thank you that we can partner alongside, and we pray that with these, our fellow believers, and we pray that we, you would shape our thoughts uh, shape our, our direction, our, our motivation, guide us as we serve you, that we would all serve as one, with one purpose, to make disciples of Jesus Christ to your glory. And Lord, we thank you again that for your word. We are acknowledged that we are dependent upon you to understand it. May you fill us with your spirit now. Lord, teach us, guide us into your truths, convict us. Show us, Lord, how and why to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. 
As we continue this morning our series on the mission, vision, and values of ESSA Bible, uh, we want to examine the values of ESSA Bible, the values of ESSA Bible. And I think we understand what the word value is in general, uh, but when applied to kind of corporate kind of methodology or organizational structures, um, unless you're probably big, part of a big corporation that emphasizes values, you probably just think, oh, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what that means. It's kind of like a, a buzzword. Well, it's a, an old buzzword, but it, it is a buzzword uh, that people use to talk about organizations. So let's just give a little, a brief definition then of what values are. Sometimes they're called core values. Uh, and again, I quote from uh, Dr. Malfurs, who's a, a senior professor of leadership and pastoral ministry at, at DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. He writes in his book about core values. He writes this, core values explain who you are. It's your identity. They are the very building blocks, the DNA of your ministry, and they explain why you do what you do or don't do what you should do. They form the foundation on which the mission and vision are built, and along with them form the church's core ideology. Uh, that's his definition. That's kind of, or one of his definitions. He has another one in the book as well. But in, anyways, that's kind of a good idea. It's just going to talk about, this is a, a, a core values are those things that are, explain who you are, the things that are valuable, valuable to you, you that motivate wh- why you do what you do. And uh, they uh, kind of form the foundation for which we, our mission and vision uh, are, are built, he says. So, anyways, in the rest of the book, he kind of the chapter he has on, on vision, on values, he explains how you go about uh, discovering what are the core values, get a team together, you know, uh, you know do surveys and stuff like that, and kind of uh, prayerfully seek out uh, what are the, and organizing these core values. That is, what are the things are, in short, simply, what are the things that are important to us, that are so important to us that they will always drive us in what we do, what we, why we do what we do. These are valuable to us. These are our values, as, as uh, just simply said. I'm going to shortcut the whole process for us. We're not going to create a, a strategy development team or anything like that. Uh, I'm going to just jump straight to the answers because the answers are in the Bible. And that's always nice. Uh, at least four of them that we have. Back in 2004, uh, at a retreat, one of our church family retreats, I, I had the opportunity to teach a, a workshop on the building blocks of SFBC. And I... Uh, Back then, we just kind of looked at the, the church as a building, and the church is, uh, is, con- is described as a building in the scriptures. And if it is a building, if it's something that's being built up, and that's what the idea of a church is, it's something that we're constantly building, it's built upon a foundation, upon a cornerstone, etc. Then we ask ourselves, what basic materials are we going to be building with? What should be found? What kind of materials do you use in the construction of a church? Tracing the, the church as a building theme, uh, we can look in the scriptures and find and summarize the biblical instruction on these, uh, the, this imagery, uh, using looking at terms like building, uh, equipping, build, uh, those terminology that's, that's found throughout the New Testament particularly. We can summarize them into four building blocks, four of them. And for our purpose today, these building blocks, as uh, if I take uh, borrowing from uh, Dr. Malfer's uh, definition, these building blocks really are, are our values. They're our core values. These are the values. Uh, these values should uh, permeate every ministry of this church, not just the ministry as a whole, but the ministry of every local, every uh, individual ministry in the church. Whether we're talking about fellowship groups, worship ministry, mercy ministry, children's ministry, mission support, nursery, etc., AV, uh, ushers, you name it. 
All these, these four values provide an underlying philosophy, a way of thinking, of ministry, which empowers and guides our respective ministries in this church, as well as it guides the ministry of SF Bible as a whole. So hopefully, uh, you won't just be thinking, oh, man, Pastor Henry's just infusing worldly corporate structure into the church. Uh, I hope I'm not. God forbid that. Uh, hopefully, that you will see that these are simply biblical principles, biblical values that come out of the scriptures. And if we understand just the terminology of the world, that these are what the world calls core values, core values or values. I believe uh, if you've ever sat through our Fundamentals of Church Life class, you might have learned these at, at one point or another. Uh, I think I preached through a series on this uh, several years back in, well, many years back. Um, so it's always good to refresh ourselves and remind ourselves, what are these values? What are these values? Because these are the values, whether you know it or not, you, you conscious, unconsciously uh, are building upon this church based upon your values. We want to share these values because so that as a, as a church, we will share the same values. We'll have the same values. And these values will guide us in fulfilling our mission and, our, and the vision that we have for us the Bible. So uh, let's take a look then. Today, we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look at four values that Essa Bible is committed to for the building up of Christ's church. Four values that Essa Bible is committed to for the building up of Christ's church. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to go to various scriptures today. So, you know, get ready to do some uh, Bible flipping. You can have sword drills if you want. Uh, no prizes, though. The first value of Essa Bible is the most important value. It's the critical value. And I think we all understand, we would all probably, if I asked you what is the most important value of S.F. Bible, you would all probably give this, the same answer, or at least it would be in the top two answers. But the most important value of S.F. Bible, from which all the other values derive its significance, is that we value Christ, right? That makes sense. You know, we're a church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we value Christ, we value Christ. He is a, all important. We want to be a Christ-centered church. And we can see this uh, from Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20 this morning. Matthew 16, verse 13, 20. You can turn with me there if you'd like. Jesus Christ is the center and focus of our ministry here at Essa Bible. And we learn one very important reason why in Matthew 16, 13, 20. Uh, let's read. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. We've preached this text in the past before, and so I just read it to give you context. But 
And we'll want to focus, we're going to focus really on verse 18 in a little bit. Just like today, back then, people misunderstood who Jesus was. Oh, he was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was a, you know, a miracle worker. He was a John the Baptist. He was somebody who was raised from the dead. Uh, and so they disagreed. In verse 15, though, Jesus posed the question. Really, it's not who people, people say he is. It's the question really that's important to you and me is, who do you say that Jesus is? And that's what he asked the disciples. In verse 16, Simon Peter, who always seems to be, you know, put his foot in his mouth, for once speaks the most significant words to ever come out of his mouth. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, those were profound words. He was acknowledging simply that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophets. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. We've seen, this, uh, we've seen this prophesied as we've studied through Isaiah in, in the past year. The anointed one, the prophet, promised one, would come to fulfill the promises of God, not only to bring salvation to his people, but he would be a king to them, a ruler over them, a, man, a king who would bring peace to them. He said, you are the Christ. And he then acknowledged that by saying, you are the son of the living God. A, he, he remembers the promise of Isaiah, a son shall be given to you. The son indicates uh, this term, he acknowledges that he's the, essentially the son of God. He acknowledges his deity, his divinity. Son indicating one who shares the same nature as the father. Peter, in this great confession of, Christ, of Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all prophecy, and that how he can fulfill that prophecy, how he could fulfill it is because he's the son of God. It's really neat, this whole time, the son of God, his, that he is God's son, the, the, the second person of the, of the Trinity. The, only, the reason why he can be the Christ, why anyone, uh, why, how anyone could fulfill the, the prophecies of the Old Testament is because he is not only a man, but he is God's son. God's son. Peter confessed Jesus for who he truly was. Now, Peter did not come to understand this truth because he kind of cleverly figured it out on his own. He, he did not. Jesus explains in verse 17 that it was his father that explained this to him. God is the one who reveals uh, this great truth to Peter. And God is the one who has revealed it to you and me as well, hasn't he? It takes, you can intellectually understand that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the son of God. You can understand that's what the Bible seems to say about who he is. But to be convicted of it, to declare, to live in light of that, to come to that place where we, if he is the Christ, the son of God, and all that he said in the church, then I, I need to submit to him. I need to follow him. I need to obey him. I need to believe in him. That's the work of God. That's the spirit of God convicting us to bring, to bring us to faith and repentance. Well, anyways, then we get to verse 18. In light of this confession, Jesus says to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus says that he will build. So this is, he's talking about, this is the first promise of building the church. And Jesus says, I will build my church. I love that phrase. He will build his universal church. And Jesus here, as he talks to Peter, is using a play on words. You probably are familiar that there are two words for rock that are used here. Peter, his name means rock. But in the Greek, it's a word that means a little rock, a a little stone, a loose rock, Petros. But when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, Jesus uses a different word. It means rock as well, but it's the word Petra. It's very similar, but a different form. 
And this word means a large rock, a foundational rock, something that is a foundation which you build something on, not a little loose pebble. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus spoke of the wise men who would build his house on the Petra, the foundation, the large foundational rock that would withstand the the waves and the storms and the rains. Jesus says, I will build my church upon this Petra. And that's where the debate began. Okay, Many of you are familiar, if you're familiar with this passage, know that there are primarily two views on the interpretation of this rock that Jesus says he will build his church upon. The first is commonly known as the Roman Catholic church view. And just because you hold this view doesn't mean you're a Roman Catholic. There are some Protestants who hold a, a, a form of this and yet don't believe in papal authority. But nevertheless, they, they believe that uh, mo- most of the people who hold to this are of Roman Catholic background. And they believe that this doctrine is the do- essential for their doctrine of papal authority. However, this view that Jesus is building his church upon Peter as the first kind of first pope uh, is not likely because Jesus is trying here to make a distinction, right? He uses intentionally two different words. He doesn't say, you are Petros, and upon this Petros, I will build my church. He could have just done that. Upon this Peter. But his distinction of words indicate that he's trying to, make a, trying to make, point out that there's another Petra. There's a Petra, a rock, another rock that is more significant, that Peter, that, is, that, uh, that, he point, that he will build his church upon. The second, likely, uh, the second view and the likely interpretation, which I believe, is that this rock is Christ. Specifically, it's the confession of Christ. It's Peter's confession of who Christ is. See, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says, therefore, here that he will build his church upon the confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's because the church is, is, it's only because of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the church can be built, that even Jesus can say that he will build the church. You see, how does he build this? Well, he builds it by, through this confession. How is the church built up? What is the church? Is it this building? No, it's not, right? We often use it kind of just in you know, common language. We're going to go to church, and now we're in church. We're at church. We are the church. Believers in Jesus Christ are the church. So if Christ is going to build a church, he's not saying, I'm going to make your building larger. I'm going to expand your parking lot. Make your elevator be much smoother when it operates. It doesn't creak. Um, I'm going to add to the numbers of the church of Jesus Christ. And how does God, how does Christ add to the numbers of the church of Jesus Christ? Through this confession. Through people coming to the point in their lives where they confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That we acknowledge that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Therefore, all that he says is true. Therefore, it is he alone who can die on the cross for my sins. Therefore, when I, therefore, because I'm a sinner, I will repent and believe upon the Christ and who he is and what he's done for me in my place so that I can receive his righteousness instead so that when God looks at me, he does not seek my sin anymore. When God looks at me, he sees only the perfect righteousness of Christ. He sees perfect righteousness, and he receives me because of Christ. This is how Christ builds his church upon this confession of who he is. Really, Jesus... 
the foundation then that we are building upon or the value that we're building on is that of Christ. And every church, as, as, as we are called, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 3, to carefully build upon the foundation of Christ, we then must build this inconsistency with the confession of Christ. You know, I love churches as we expand, as we start reflecting more of uh, what God calls us to do in our world. We, we, start, we start reaching out more. That's wonderful. And we'll start doing, and we feel it as a church already where God's using us in this way. We're, we're expanding our, our, our ministry of mercy. Uh, I love just hearing what God's doing in that ministry. Uh, and just uh, that's a very, it's not just a, uh, a, a, part, a part, you know, kind of just an additional ministry. It's essential for ministry. We've kind of learned in the past that, that God uses our, the, our gift of mercy, our mercy to show the love of Christ for the sake of the gospel, to show people Christ. But as we expand, as we go in the world, sometimes the mission of showing the love of Christ becomes so great that we forget about the preaching of Christ. We must never, as we expand our ministry, as hopefully this will continue to shape what we do as we reach out to our world, as we do all sorts of different aspects of showing mercy to the world, that we will not forget that it's built upon the importance of this confession of Christ. Are we manifest? We can also ask ourselves as a church, are we manifesting Christ's character? Are we following Christ's teaching? Is Christ the focus of every ministry? You know, um, <clears throat> You know, I, I allow for the fact that sometimes we just get together and we just have fun as a church, you know. Uh, we should have game nights. We should do uh, more sporting events, activities, uh, go out and uh, do just activities. But I would hope that our ministries, every ministry in this church, would manifest Christ in some way, that we would speak Christ, that Christ would be shared about as we talk about what he's doing in our lives. Because this is an important value of who Christ, who and Christ is, what he's done, upon which Jesus has promised to build his church. Let's make this our value, if it's not. Well, <clears throat> the three remaining values derive from this first value, the value of Christ. And we'll see this as we look continue. The second value that we are committed to in the building up of Christ church is the Bible, the Bible, or rather Christ's words, Christ's word. In Acts 20, chapter 25 and 32, you can turn there with me, Acts 20, 25, 32, we see this uh, alluded to uh, in this narrative of, of, uh, that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders in Miletus. We see in this, these verses, or particularly one verse, the power of the Bible to build up the church. That the Bible is the instrument by which the church is built up. This is near the end of Paul's third missionary journey, and he's stopped in a little uh, port town. And he called the church of the elders of Ephesus to come on down to him so that he might bid farewell to them. In t- verse 25 to 27, we observe uh, Paul gives, actually 25 to 30, Paul gives a speech to the Ephesian elders. We see, first of all, his conscience that he speaks about in 25 27. We read, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day 
that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Although they would never see his face again, Paul tells them that his conscience before them is clear. His conscience is clear because he says he has not shirked from his responsibility to preach to them the gospel, to preach to them the word of Christ. Verse 27 says, I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. He taught them all that God counsels and gives to us. During Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, all who lived in the province of Asia had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And he not only preached the gospel, but he also preached the very biblical principles for the life of a believer, for a godly life. Yet, despite his faithfulness to proclaim to them the, the gospel, the word of Christ over those three years, in verse 28 to 20, 31, he observe, we observe Paul's concern. He has a concern for these teachers. He says that though I've taught you, there, I still have a concern for you. And we read in verse 28 to 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purposed with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering night and day for a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He warns the elders to be on guard, be on the alert, watch out, basically, for themselves as well as for all the flock. Why? Because of wolves, he says. He says, men from without and men from within are going to rise up and speak perverse things, twisted truths, basically, that will mislead and, and, and take, draw the disciples away from the truth. And so that's his concern. He's always aware that there's always going to be truth that comes up, er or heresy that comes up by wicked and evil men, twisted men, wolves that will lead people astray. So he tells the elders, be on guard, be on alert, be watchful to yourselves, to your flock. He says, but how can they be on guard? What is the instrument by which they can protect themselves and the flock? He explains in verse 32, Paul's, uh, I call it Paul's confidence. But verse 32, here's the key verse I want to focus on. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul entrusts the Ephesian elders in the church in their charge to God, first and foremost, and then secondly to the word of God, the word of his grace, the gospel See, whatever the wolves may try to do, the elders of the church must look to God and his word. The omnipotent God has revealed his truth in his, in his word, and his word is powerful enough. It's the instrument that is the tool by which all elders and shepherds are defend the flock against the wolves. Paul recognizes his power. He says, this, the word of grace is, which is able to build you up. It's able, it has dynamic power. It's able, that is, it's continual, it's a, there's a continual uh, idea here. This is, this, the Bible is continually able, it's not just a dated book, even though it's nearly, it's over 2,000 years old. It is not a book that without, is without power and relevance for today, because it is the word of God. 
It's the word of his grace. As long as there are sinners, there is always a need for a word of his grace. When the world had, no longer has sinners, they will no longer need this book. And that's going to be a long time, right? This book is able to build you up. There's a word for building up. Building up the church body, the people. It makes you stronger, makes you sturdier, makes you stabler in your faith. What's more, it gives you the inheritance of eternal life. This book is the one which shows us who Christ is. It shows us about that confession of Christ that leads us, that convicts us, that brings us to saving faith. So as elders, as leaders, as shepherds, as the people of God, as a church, we must heed, take Paul's warning and make sure that we are committed to the Christ words, the word of Christ. That if we're going to build, as, if Christ is going to build this church through us, then we must build it up upon, not only upon Christ, but we must build it upon Christ's word. The power to build up a church is not found in a building. Yes, a building sometimes is an instrument by which God draws people here. And though by, by moving here into this community, many of you have considered coming here, and we thank God for bringing you here. But what will bring you and ultimately keep you here is not the building, but it's Christ and his word. What will build the church is not the number of programs we have or the ministries of the church per se. It's not because we have a ministry to, to your age group necessarily. What will build this church is because we as a church are a place where the truth of God can be heard. You will not get anywhere. You, will not, you can't go to school, well, public schools at least, and hear the word of God. You cannot go to your government and hear the word of God. You cannot go to your workplace your, and hear the word of God. You cannot go to your community clubs and your social organizations and hear the word of God. The church is the sole possessor of the word of God, the word of his grace. And when they, people are going to be, this church is going to be built up, it's going to be built up because of Christ's words. God and the Bible alone have the power to build up this church. And so we therefore need to look to this book. We need to, be, we need to proclaim, continue to proclaim Christ's words. We look to it for guidance. We look to it for instruction. We study it, practice it, teach it. Because it is that which is able to build up this church. A third value that we hold to, not only we hold to Christ and we hold to Christ's word, but we also hold to the value of, the fa- of family, God's family, Christ's body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16 is where we look at this passage from. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Uh, <clears throat> Here Paul writes uh, to the, writing to the Ephesian, uh, the church in Ephesus, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, but what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, in this passage, we see that this, the necessity of Christ's body, the whole body, every member of the body. Really, the, we need the whole family 
to be built up, the church family to be built up. Uh, I know it's kind of, it's sort of obvious, right? Well, you can't build a church without a church family. But sometimes uh, you can't have a, it's like being a, a team, a sports team. And uh, we know many times team is in team and name, but they don't play like a team. The same can happen with the church. We are a family because we've been adopted by God in Jesus Christ. We've all adopted this family. We are family, but if we, don't, we don't, if we don't act like a family, if we don't respond and treat one another like a family, ought to treat one another, then we won't function like a family. And when we don't function like a family, then we, we're not going to grow. Because we see here that the proper functioning of the body, the proper functioning of the family, leads to the growth of the body of Jesus Christ. These verses speak to this importance then of the proper functioning of the members of the church family towards the building up of the church as a whole. In verse 14 to 15, we're simply exhorted to grow up. Grow up. Stop being immature. Immature people like children, uh, they are, their thoughts are immature. Their behavior is immature. They, they don't think about what they ought to do. Children just kind of play and you know, twiddle their thumbs. Uh, you have to teach children to grow up, to learn responsibility, to do kind of their part, to do their chores to do uh, their responsibility, to obey their parents. And that's Paul saying to that to the church at Ephesus. You need to grow up. Grow up. Don't, don't be tossed here and there. Don't be, oh, I feel like doing it. No, I don't want to. I've been hearing that a lot recently. <laughs> but Paul says, no, we're no longer to be children. We're to grow up in, light, in Christ-likeness. And this is natural. Because Christ is our head. He's our, not only is our father, is our, the, uh, the one who is the, our leader, but he's the example through which he's, he's the very one that makes us the family of God. He's, the, he's like the dad in the family. So how do we grow up? Through our connection. And the scripture says in verse 16, it's through our connection with Christ and one, with one another. It says in verse 16, it's from whom? The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Who is whom referring to? Well, verse 15 tells us. It's the head, Jesus Christ. He's our head. So we're, we're connected because of Jesus Christ. The church family, our, our church family, every church family is pictured here as a body, a body of believers. We're connected because of Christ. You know, it's not a matter of feeling like a family. We are a family. We are a family. It's a profound truth, brothers and sisters. We have families. We love them dearly. We love them dearly, right? When we get to heaven, we will see that there's a family that is closer than our earthly family. And there's a, there's a love for them that's going to grow over the years, over eternity, that will far surpass our love for our own earthly families. Because the reality is our heavenly family. Our earthly families are simply a shadow of that. We're connected because of our connection with the head. Just as all parts of our body are, are fitted together, are, are held together by our various joints of our body, so we too are connected to one another. If you're a member of this local church, even if you've been, if you're a Christian, you're a professing Christian, you've been a regular attender here, and I, I come to know that, we start acknowledging and recognizing you as a, as a member of the body. We encourage you to join, officially join the membership of the body, because that helps us to know for sure that that's what you want to do. 
Helps us to be able to go through the process of confirming that you are genuinely a believer in Christ. But simply stated, if you're regularly attending here and you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, we will start treating you like family. Even if, you know, you haven't signed on the dotted line. But that's kind of, it hurts our feelings, by the way, when you do that. When you don't do that. It's like, what, is something wrong with us? Not really, but you get the idea. Join the membership. <clears throat> and we need each other, because we're connected, our body, we need each other to grow. We need each other to grow, right? Oh, man. We do. And there's all sorts, as, as I grow older, there's all sorts of illustrations about how we need the whole body to grow, okay? Because it just takes one part of our body to hurt and, uh, or to be not functioning and like, wow, the rest of our body <laughs> just doesn't function as it ought. Paul continues, though. He says, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. See, it's not enough just to be connected. We encourage you to be connected to the body. You are connected, so we encourage you to actively be connected through various fellowship groups, different opportunities, Sunday schools, small groups. But each member of the body has a contribution to make to the growth of the body. Every one of us here, if you're a believer, you have a contribution to make. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be in a formal sense of ministry. But there's a sense where you're, you have a contribution. You come here on Sunday. You have the, all of you have the ministry of the pew, it's called. That here as you sit, we don't have pews anymore. The ministry of the blue chairs, okay? But as you're sitting in the blue chairs, think of it. I'm in the mini- I have a ministry to play to the person to my left, to my right, to the front, to the behind. To find out how they're doing. See what's up with them. See how, what, maybe if there's any prayer requests that they have. If you can, to get to know them, to show your care for them. To ask how they're doing. To, to know their name. Okay, at the least, so you can call them by name. We have this ministry to one another. It was a proper working that each of us has to play before, as we fulfill each of our functions. There are many ways to serve and as, as we contribute to the body, but one of the best ways to serve, of course, is to use our gifts. God's given us spiritual gifts for the common good of the body. God's not given us spiritual gifts for ourselves. God's given us spiritual gifts so that we might use for the body. So that's why we, what we should do. And when we exercise our gifts, we, we build up the body so that it functions as it ought. Leading others to Jesus, bringing glory to God. And so the, all this to say, that as a family, we, we understand the work of this church is not done by just some, but it must be done by everyone. I was just reading in, uh, which book was I reading? Anyways, I was reading some book about the, the 2080 principle. Oh, some kind of email. And he's like, the 2080 principle. And you know how the saying goes, if it, essentially, actually, it's a, it's, a, um, it's something that's true of human behavior in general. But it's also been said, that usually we hear in a church, church context, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And, then, you know, that's, kind of how that's, and that's generally true of a lot of organizations as well, uh, not just the church. But and our goal as a church, our desire as a church, as a family, is that all of us would be functioning. That 100% of people would be doing 100% of the work. Yes, yeah, sometimes some... Uh, some parts of our body do more work. Uh, I think our hands probably do a lot of work uh, from day to day. And we understand that. They're just more visible, more, you know, outward and, and such things. But all of us are called to do our part. Verse 16. Uh, oh, and if you're not using your gifts, then, this, then keep in mind that because you're not using your gifts, this body is not functioning as it ought this function, it's, it's, it's missing your part. It's missing you. We're missing you. Verse 16 ends, 
with, uh, with this phrase, all this, the whole, because we're connected to Christ and we're contributing to one another as we're using our different gifts, that we're working together. What this, what this all does is it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Uh, see, we see then that this is what causes the body to be built, grow. It causes it to grow up, to mature. And as we mature, it builds us up. We, we're, as we use our gifts, we're building up the church and we're really building up ourselves as well. Because we're, it's this good relationship that we have with one another. We're building up of itself, of the church body. But notice that last, the last prepositional phrase, in love. Don't miss in love. In love is the attitude by which the body, which is, motivates us to work together to build itself up. Like any family, the reason why we do anything in our family, the reason why we, we um, and especially as a, as a young dad, the reason why I do anything I do for my kids is because I love them. Man, if I didn't love them, I'd just let them lie there, sit there in their poop, not feed them, ignore them. You'd say, man, it's a very unloving dad. It's because, I, but thankfully, I love them. I love them, so I'm going to do my part for them. And that's how we do work in the body, because we grow in love. And as we grow in love, we, we, will, we want to do and serve one another in the body. Without love for the family of Christ, there will be no motivation to participate in the body. Someone asked me recently, how do you encourage someone to be involved in church, to go to church? I told her, well, I would encourage that person, especially if they're a believer in Jesus Christ. He said, if you love Christ, if you love Christ, love the head, love his body. Love his body. Think about that. And just meditate upon that truth. Yes, there are people sometimes we don't like. Okay, I get that. We don't get along. Sometimes people will kind of step on our toes. But that's what happens when sinners are, you know, interact with each other. That's just life. That's just life. We, just, we step on each other's toes. It's okay. We, but hopefully we're humble enough to acknowledge when we're wrong, ask for forgiveness, admit it, confess. But love forgives, and love is continually commits to using our parts of the body to function like a family ought to function. Just imagine, and just look at your own family. How many times has, for at least the majority of us here, I hope, uh, your family has disappointed you in different ways and uh, hurt you in different ways. But I trust you still love them. You still look out for their good, you, especially if you're your parents and, and you've gone through those difficult teen years and they didn't want to have anything to do with you. But you love them nevertheless. And I'm still I'm encouraged by that. It's a great example. It's a great example of us as shepherds and leaders, to love the body, to love the whole church. That's why we serve. Well, <clears throat> uh, so in, in summary of the statement, every member of the church family is joined together in this body for its growth and building up. And when we function as God has gifted us, enabled us, we, we end up causing the building of this church in love. So the fourth and final value, not only do we value Christ and his word and his body, but we value Christ's servants, Christ's servants. Servant leaders is what, uh, is this, what I call this, uh, this value. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, it's the verses that precede what I began with this at the very beginning of our service. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Paul writes here, 
to these uh, Corinthians who were basically, they were divided. They had a lot of dissension. They were divided over many things, but they were, here they were divided over the leaders that they uh, proclaimed to follow. And so Paul writes this correction in verses 5 through 9. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growing, the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And there's our connection to this building terminology, this building. The church is God's building. The, the Corinthian church was God's building. But we see in this in these few verses, that the leaders of Christ church, these people whom they looked up to, Apollos, Paul, these weren't just their leaders, Paul says. We're not just people you say, I follow Paul, I'm of Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm a Peter. He says, no, we're servants. We are servants, we are diakonos. We are like waiters at the restaurant. We're like the slave who, when you come to a, go to a house, washes your feet. We're the servants. We are servants. We're, this word, we get our English word for, de, uh, for deacons and deaconesses. We'll be uh, affirming our new uh, diaconate as well as uh, one new elder uh, this morning and later this afternoon in our church family meeting. But church, the leaders of Christ's church are first and foremost servants. Yes, Paul's an, Paul's an apostle. Apollos is one of the most gifted teachers of his day. But he says we're servants. He's not here talking about an office particularly. He's not saying we're, we're actual deacons. He's talking about their function. And their function is to be like waiters and waitresses, to wait at table. The master is the one who sits at the table to eat and drink. But the servant is the one who prepares the food, who serves the food for the master. Apollos and Paul are servants, not masters. They are helpers in the work, in the work of the gospel. In fact, they are one in this work. Later on, verse 9, uh, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. That word fellow workers, sunergoi, means that they work together. Not together with God. They work together as servants of God with each other. Paul works with Apollos and Apollos with Peter. They work together. We all work together. We're, we are servants. These are servants through whom you believed, Paul says. These were those like waiter, good faithful waiters. They served the gospel to the Corinthians so they could believe and, and partake of it. If there are servants, then who's their master? Their master is God, or their master is particularly is Christ. Instead of proclaiming allegiance to these servants, the Corinthians should have been proclaiming allegiance to the master of these servants through whom they believed. That master is God and Christ. Notice in the verses that follow how Paul contrasts the servants with those of that of the master using the analogy of agriculture. In verse 6, Paul talks about he was planting, Apollos watered, but who caused the growth? God. Verse 7 it makes this point, neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. We're just simply servants. Who is anything? God, who causes the growth. 
He is everything. And then he says the verse 9 that we read earlier. We are God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. The emphasis in the English as well as in the Greek is on God's, God's, God's. We all belong to God. There are so many applications of this principle we could take a look at as servants, servant leaders. If we're servants, then we ought to seek the will of the master, not of our own. You know, sometimes it's a trap for us as leaders because in our responsibility as leaders, we have to make decisions from time to time. It makes us, and it's easy to fall into seeking our own wills. And so many churches split because leaders want to pursue their own will. And, so they, and when they make their decisions, they would say, it's got to be my way. No, it's got to be my way. No, it's got to be my way. No, we just want Christ's way. And sometimes we disagree about what is Christ's way. That's okay. Because we go back to the scriptures and we study, we pray. Sometimes we realize, oh, this is something that's non-biblical. We can disagree about which way is the best. It's okay. Servants, as servants, we then also must remember that we need to work together. Work together, not against one another. One of the great challenges, especially for those in pastoral ministry, but I believe it takes place even to a lesser extent uh, in the body of the church, is that there is easy to be as servants to be jealous of one another, to see someone else in the other part of the in, in other ministries prospering, succeeding, bringing maybe uh, the numbers are great. There's a lot of attendance over there, and then your ministry is so little and small. And you're like, oh man, there's, there can be jealousy of that. But we're working together. Praise God if that other part of the ministry is growing and expanding because of the faithfulness of the saint there. And just because your particular ministry is not growing numerically does not mean that you've not been faithful and pleasing to the Lord. It's just the same. We're working together in this. Thirdly, as even as servants of God, uh, certainly when we receive praise and thanksgiving for our ministry, we direct it to the one who sent us to serve. We give praise to God. We, do, we make disciples for the glory of God. A church that doesn't have servant leaders is going to be an immature church that won't grow, but will be in danger of division. <laughs> Imagine if a church was full of master leaders. Wow. Oh, there will be all sorts of conflict. But when servant leaders are present, God uses them to not only exemplify Christ, to teach others about Christ. But to be the instruments of Christ through whom Christ builds and grows his building, the church. Well, these are our values. Christ, first and foremost, upon which this church is built. His word, upon which guides us and directs us. It's what is our mission. It's our, it's, our, it's our message. Christ's body, through which is the only thing, the only thing that Christ has promised to build. This family that he's brought us together by the common confession of Christ. Together we are working. Each of us using our gifts. And Christ's servants, our servant leaders. Every ministry, we've been emphasizing this uh, over the past three, four years or so. 
Um, we've been trying to make a move, uh, just even moving from the all ministry leaders, just not, you're not just called a ministry leader. We want to acknowledge you as a deacon or deaconess of the church. Why do we do that? Because we want to remind you that you are a servant. We want to understand that we're not a ministry leader. I'm a servant. I'm a deacon. I'm a deaconess. And that's why I do what I do in this ministry. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. One of the most important truths about the church ever. For San Francisco Bible Church, that means that Christ will build this church as a visible representation of his universal church. But what is more and wonderful is that because he promises to build his church, he provides the resources to empower and guide us a Bible for the building up of it. And these materials and resources, as we've learned this morning, these values are Christ, his word, his body, and his servants. These are not necessarily, not just things that we are about doing, by the way. These are the very reasons. These are the reasons that we do what we do, that we make disciples to the glory of God. It's, we do this because of Christ. We do this because his word tells us, instructs us so. We do this because we are his body. We want to exist and manifest and act and participate and be connected for his glory, the glory of our head. It's because we are his servant leaders. We answer to a master. We know we must give an answer someday. And so we want to make disciples. We want to be faithful to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. May these values be understood by all of us here. May it kind of infuse every ministry of this church. May it infuse the ministry as a whole that we would be faithful to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for our mission so stated clearly in your scriptures. Father, thank you for the promise of Christ that he said that he would build his church. And Lord, we thank you that, we, that, this, that the mission that we have is not a hopeless mission because of Christ's promise that he will build. And thank you, Lord, that in Christ we have given us all the resources we need for the building up of this church. Lord, help us to value these things, first and, first and foremost, of, of great priority and of significance and importance in this church. Christ himself, his word, his body, and his servant leaders. Lord, as you provide this church with these resources, resources help us to be motivated by them. Help us to be faithful. Cause the church to work together, each of us using our own uh, gifts that you've given to us. Help us to build one another up in love. We thank you, Father, for this motivation. We thank you, Lord, that we, we do this all because, first and foremost, of your love for us, demonstrated in your Son. And so, Lord, in love for you and in love for the things of Christ, the love of Christ himself, where we want to be faithful, to make disciples to the glory of you. Do a work in our hearts, Lord. Cause us to work in the will for your good pleasure this year ahead. Help us to shape and refine the ministries of this church that we would more reflect 
your scriptures. Build this church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God, is, God bless you. You're dismissed.